Welcome back to Wandering Aimfully, the show. I'm one of your hosts, Caroline Zuck. I'm Jason Zuck. Welcome. We're really glad to have you. This episode is about vegetables <laughs> and, and self-doubt. It's not about vegetables. Although At the end. Stick to the end and we talk a little bit about vegetables. Yeah. This episode is actually about self-doubt. And we talk about all kinds of different things related to self-doubt. We talk about how it never really goes away. Sorry, guys out there. We don't spoiler have a alert, secret to... Uh, self-doubt here. We talk about imposter syndrome. We talk about um, embarking on new phases of your business journey or your creative journey. We talk about ways that you can just kind of work with your self-doubt and start the thing that you've been meaning to start. But also Got a bunch up. of metaphors in here for you that oh you can gosh. use to visually References. understand. So if self-doubt is something you deal with, this episode is going to be for you and we hope it helps you and we hope you enjoy it. Enjoy. Hey there, we're Jason and Caroline Zook, a husband and wife team who believes life is just one big experiment. This is the show where we share our journey as we figure out this ever-changing thing called life. We cover topics like running a business, traveling the world, and clawing our way out of debt, all with the hope of inspiring you to live, work, and create with more intention. Life might bring its twists and turns, but when you know who you are and what you want, you're never really lost. Welcome to Wandering Aimfully, the show. Just cracking open a crisp, cold, red stripe. Hooray, beer. You already made that joke like a couple episodes ago. I know, but I just, when I think of like happiness and beer, I think of drinking red stripe in Jamaica, which I did one time, but it was when off, th- it whoa, was whoa, off whoa, of whoa, a cruise whoa. ship. When I think of happiness and beer. Yeah, Jamaica and oh. drinking a red stripe. When I think of happiness and beer, I think of a tropical destination with right. like a Corona. Right. Which is you so You should try basic. a red stripe. In Jamaica. Okay. Yeah. This episode brought to you by the country of Jamaica. And Visit Jamaica And have Red Stripe. Also co-sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Not sponsored whatsoever. Um, let's dive in. Let's talk about self-doubt. But first, let's talk about let's set sex, baby. The let's timer. talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things. Let's talk about doubt. Let's talk about doubt. It's a little bit of Dak Shepard on his riff on fact check so i don't want to have a lot of dak shepherd references references not that many like one every three episodes all right self doubt. uh where does it come from caroline i don't know where it comes from but the reason why i wanted to talk about this topic is because i think self-doubt is one of those things that you think it's very prevalent in the beginning of your business journey specifically or creative journey or a lot of things but more specifically i'm talking about it in the context of business and creativity however you and I were talking in the car. You've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. I've been... You keep saying 10 years. What? I'm on my 12th year now. Fine. More than 10 years. Thank you. I've been an entrepreneur for, I think, five-ish years. And self-doubt is still there. And it doesn't go away. And I think there's this misconception that if you've been doing this a long time, that self-doubt is just going to dissipate and that you're not going to have to struggle with it or overcome it anymore. And that's just not true. If if we go back to my fear metaphor from yes. a couple episodes Please ago. Please share it with the good people at home. Where fear in the very beginning sits next to you and it's like a smart car and he's in the passenger seat and he's screaming at your face. And then the more you do something, the bigger your car gets and the further fear has to sit away from you. And yep. eventually you can't hear fear. Now... That metaphor works when you're doing the same thing repeated over and over again because it gets less difficult, less anxiety about it, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think the same can be said for Mm self-doubt. When we are changing our ideas, when we're changing our strategies, when we're changing our businesses entirely, 
it's a whole new set of circumstances, which is why the over the self-doubt we've overcome in previous businesses doesn't apply to new businesses. Right. And so with using that frame, I think self-doubt is actually a great thing because it means that you're experimenting. It means that you're growing. It means that you're trying something new. If if doubt goes away, it means you're getting comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and when you frame it that way, because sometimes I think with Wandering Aimfully specifically, which is kind of where our business journey is right now, we'll talk about trying new things or evolving the business. And we'll have those moments of doubt where we're like, are we doing the right thing? Are we taking it in the right direction? We'll question, we'll do all those things. And sometimes I go, really? Like, we're not over this yet. And mm-hmm. I get kind of down on myself. Like, I should have, you know, kind of dealt with this in the past. But then I go, wait a second. No, that just means that we're doing something new something we, we haven't done before. And I think using that frame, you can actually start to see self-doubt as a positive. Yeah. And I think it would be really um, a misstep to just say self-doubt is just going to go away with time. Like I, I, There are things that you have to do and things you have to acknowledge when self-doubt comes around to deal with it. And for some people, like, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. You may, you just shouldn't be an entrepreneur if self-doubt is something that you deal with that's crippling for you. Because I really don't think there's anything that you can do long-term that's not going to have this thing be riddled with you because there's just always bumps in the road. There's always challenges. Entrepreneurship for 99% of us is not set it and forget it. Right. It's rinse and repeat. It's try things. It's it's mess up. It's see what goes wrong. Oh, this this way of doing things doesn't work anymore. You got to transition. You got to do things. And if you're not able to deal with those circumstances, it's going to be such a, an uphill battle. And I just think a lot of people don't say that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people just say, you can do it. You can start your own thing. You can run your own business. You can be an entrepreneur. You can manage all this stuff. But if you really deal with a ton of self-doubt, you really deal with a lot of anxiety when it comes to change, it is just not the path for you. I mean, I think every person, I don't think you can say that with certainty to someone, but I think what you but can't I just did. Yeah, but and now on. it's on the internet, you, so it's true. It's true. What you can say is what I think is is positive in what you just said is that somebody can hear that and go, "Oh, I hadn't even realized that that was an option." That because I think every person needs to decide for themselves if it's worth it. And so that's what I was thinking of when you were just saying that. I I listened to this um, interview or this clip recently of Bradley Cooper talking about directing. A star is born. We call him Brad. Brad. Just Brad. What's up, Brad? And he said something really interesting to me, which somebody, he said something like, um, you know, he didn't feel ready to direct yet, like, you know, in in times past. So with um, actually in reference to American Sniper, he had wanted to get that movie made and he said that he had thought about directing it, but he didn't feel ready. And then somebody asked him, well, how did you know you were ready for this one? And he basically said something to the effect of, I'm going to try not to butcher it. He said something to the effect of, it got to a point where I realized that I was too afraid. Like I didn't want to die not having made this movie. And so it's this idea of you reach this kind of pinnacle where the desire to express yourself and to start that business or create that thing is stronger than your fear of what happens when you do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is sort of, there's something there to the idea of deciding if you're an entrepreneur, which is, you can have the self-doubt. It can even be crippling self-doubt. But if you sit down and and in like the deep, deep places of your knowing, if you're like. Which is to the left of your spleen. To the left of your spleen, yeah. in case you didn't know where it was. And you ask yourself and you go, but you know what? I 
would regret never having gone for it. I would Mm -hmm. regret not doing this. That was what it was for me, you know, especially with my creativity. Like we can talk a lot about imposter syndrome, but when I started painting and when I started my art project, I'm not, I was not a painter at the time. I was even just newly coming into this identity of being an artist. And I had major, major imposter syndrome. Like I don't have a art, like I don't have canvases hanging in galleries. I don't have any of this. But I thought to myself, I will always regret not putting this work out there. I will always regret not trying this. So I use that as my fuel to do it, you know, in in spite of my self-doubt. It's a, kind of a weird thing, just the way that our society works and that there are people of different levels and stature. And this has been our society forever. It's not just like our modern society. It's forever society. But as humans... There are different hierarchies of humans. And and it's interesting, you know, you think about that Steve Jobs quote that is just so famous, and I'm not going to say it perfectly or butcher it, but it's like when you look around you, everyone is just the same as you are with the same set of abilities and circumstances, whatever. And it's just like you realize, oh, wow, like I could do all of this stuff now. Am I do I have like the predisposed DNA to be better at it kind of naturally? Do I have the actual desire to like do all the work it takes to do those things? And I think that like, I don't know why that made me think of this, but we watched the Ellen stand up on Netflix last night. And, the you know, it's funny because you mentioned multiple times you're like, oh, that's you. Like you think the same way. And so my brain naturally goes to could I do stand up in front of this gigantic audience? And then like self-doubt immediately is like, no, well, like how could I, you know? And I do think I could because I've done public speaking. And so it'd be like a natural. And I've talked to that many people, but it's not the same stage. It's like you're teaching from stage as opposed to like trying to entertain from stage. Yeah. And so I think it's really it's just interesting how you look at someone specifically this example, like Ellen up on stage doing this thing. And you immediately go like, oh, like I, I couldn't do that. Like, that's just a, but why not? Like right. She's she's just the same of a person as I am well, who I just think, looks at the world a little bit differently or whatever. I think our brain immediately goes to what that person has that we don't. So you might say like, oh, years of experience rhythm. or rhythm, <laughs> <laughs> crafting jokes. Like same with me with artists. Like I would look at artists and I'd right. go, oh, I don't have an MFA. I don't have a years What's as a master's of fine arts. Motherfucking art degree. Motherfucking art degree. I wish this, that's what it stood for. <laughs> I don't have a you lot know, more people would go to art school if they could yeah. at the end get a motherfucking art degree. <laughs> I don't have this like giant studio in San Francisco where I get to paint all day and blah, blah, blah. So you you immediately go to comparing yourself to somebody else and saying, what do they have that I don't? And then you focus on that. And instead, I just have kind of trained my brain to just go, okay, well, I'm not going to have all that stuff, but what do I have? And it's just shifting your mindset back to what do you have to start with? It's a waste of time to focus on what you don't have. You don't have it. Right. So focus on what you do. It kind of goes again, back to that metaphor of like, the more you do something like the less self-doubt you have or less fear you have. It's also the more that you understand the circumstances that you have and don't think about the circumstances you don't have. It makes you appreciate the things that you have. Yeah. So for like your art example, like you started out with the kind of like a, a, a cubby hole in uh, the second bedroom in our upstairs of Florida yep. where you did art. And it was just a, it was an Ikea table and it had some stuff on the wall and it was very, very small. You had like one crate of things. We shared it. It was a green screen room for your yeah. video recording. It was a catch all for all of our your weird props and stuff. And then it was that, just a corner. Yeah. And then that transition to when we moved to California, you obviously didn't have a lot of stuff, but there was a whole extra room that could just be your art room. And so there were a couple different things and that kind of became your studio. Mm-hmm. But it was nothing compared to when we moved to Oceanside and like that downstairs room became like a full-fledged studio. Mm-hmm. There was canvas everywhere on the ground. There were canvases all up on easels and things. And and so I think it is it is really interesting when you just take a second and it kind of goes back to your word for the year, which is abundance, mm-hmm. uh, of just taking stock and like 
oh, I do have a full studio. Like, mm-hmm. I have a full art studio that's a room in our house. And most people are what I was four years ago, where it was just a little table with maybe like a little Tupperware thing that had some supplies and that was it. Right. Or the, you know, the comparison to that is, could I have found that abundance when I was at the stage in the Florida house where I had just that corner and said, you know what? A lot of people don't even have this. So it's like just realizing what you do have. Because I I really want this episode to also speak to people who maybe are in those beginning stages where the self-doubt is still so much a part of their daily thought process. So it's like that whole idea of focusing on what you have. I know that maybe it's not a full studio or I know that maybe it's not a big business or I know you maybe haven't been doing this for 10 years. But what can you say that you've been doing? Have you been learning things? Have you been trying things? Um, what skills do you have? I always tell people that. Like, think of what skills that you do have, what strengths that you do have, what expertise, you know, all of these different things and trying to focus on that. Yeah. It's also interesting when you talk about maybe helping someone get through self-doubt is to try and say, don't try and get through it in the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. Don't try and find abundance necessarily in the very beginning of a journey. Don't try and go through. And, and I think that you have to get a little bit further along than the very beginning stages so that you can reflect on at least some part of it and go, oh, yeah, like I'm better than I was or mm-hmm. I have more than I was when I had nothing when I started mm-hmm. this thing or this was just an idea that floated around in my head for years and I finally took action on it. And so many people don't do that. Right. And so I think it becomes so much easier and it, it's so cliche, but it's to just start. It's just to right. do something so that you have something to reflect on to go, hey, I had self-doubt just about the beginning of this. I'm not much better than I was, whatever the thing is you're trying to do, but I've started. Right. And I'm so much further along just in doing that than most people will get. And it is it is really, I think, easy to, we find ourselves in this position a lot of, it's hard to look back on where we started and what that felt like. And so when people join Wandering Eanfully or when they bring their ideas to us via email or whatever. And it's kind of hard to put ourselves in their shoes because all we do is just go, just start doing it. Just, you know, like you got to get over this thing. And and if you, this is your quote, but if you want the goal more than you feel the reality of what it takes to get there, fear then the do reality. it. Right? Like, yeah, it, yeah <laughs> sorry. feel the reality. Yeah. Uh, fear the reality. Um, those are things that it's, it comes off easy for us to say that, but it can be really hard in the beginning. And, and so I do think the magic is just the starting and, and getting moving forward. Totally. I think that's a really good point. I think it's about not, if you're in that beginning place, it's about not trying to wrestle with the self-doubt and trying to overcome it, but just knowing that it's normal to feel it and mm-hmm. doing the thing anyway. And I think about it kind of with a frame of time where time is this thing. It's the one resource that we can't get any more of. It's the most precious thing we have. We only have, you know, when you think about how however long you're going to be on this earth, you only have a set amount of time. And so when I think about it, I just go starting gets you on that path, right? right? It's like if the timeline kind of existed in ether, yeah, you're like down on the ground and the timeline's floating in the sky. Right. And until you actually start, you're not on the you're timeline. You're not on the timeline. You're just floating around on the ground like, I just want to do stuff. I wish I could do stuff. I'm not doing stuff. It's like you got to get on the timeline. But you have to get on the timeline. You got to get on the timeline. Yeah. That's what starting does for you. And if you can find a way to experience that self-doubt, but just go, my only goal is to get on the freaking timeline. Yeah. Then you realize, okay, self-doubt is something that I'm going to learn to cope with over time. And experience is going to give me a lot more confidence, kind of harkening back to our confidence episode. But you can't you can't learn to do that if you're not on the timeline. Yeah. And there's a there's a really interesting part of this that so many people that we talk to run into, which is like, I don't know if my idea is good enough. 
or I don't know if someone mm-hmm. would buy from me. I'm, you know, nobody. I don't have the MFA or whatever. Yeah. And I just think all of that is you just have to get over that. Like there, there is nothing that anyone can tell you that can help you deal with that other than you just going, I'm just going to put my stuff out into the world. Well, here's what it really is about. When someone says that, we talk We talk a lot about assumptions. We talk about it. We talk a lot Listen, about assumptions. we're on this podcast. Okay? We talk about assumptions. We- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Went to a place. Yeah. People um, in their car are like, whoa, God, what happened? <laughs> you and I talk a lot about assumptions. And so when people say, oh, nobody would buy from me or I can't earn a living doing X, Y, and Z, what they're doing is they're making assumptions in their head. And what assumptions are, it's it's based on the premise that you care what other people think and that you're afraid that if you try it and you fail and actually no one does buy from you, that that will hurt, right? That will hurt your feelings. People might laugh at you. People might do all these things. And so assumptions are our way of basically predicting the future so that we can prevent our future self from experiencing pain. Mm-hmm. That's literally what it is. So we talk ourselves in in our heads. We make all these assumptions and we go, I'm not going to try because there's the potential to hurt. And so I'm going to pr- I'm just going to protect myself and not do that. But guess what? That's life. And so our entire goal is to encourage people not to make those assumptions but to test those assumptions. And so to me the reason that's important is because once you realize that you can stop caring what other people think so much that's the only that's the source of the hurt, right? Is like what are other people going to think? Are they going to make fun of me? But if you can start to kind of dissolve that, then you can experiment and you can try and if you do fail, you don't it doesn't matter because at least you tried and also, you can try the next thing. Two things. Number 1, you're not a mind reader. So you can make all the assumptions right. all the time, but none of us can get into someone's head and be like, oh, this is what you're thinking. Uh. Yeah. It just it doesn't happen. And so often we've seen this. And I think this is just the natural case of people who do a lot of things. You realize, oh, I had this assumption and it did not come true. And it was not nearly as bad as I thought this might be in whatever direction I took this or whatever decision I made that was going to be difficult mm-hmm. or tough. It's not at all. And, and we just put all this pressure on ourselves that we think other people. And my favorite thing for this is like if someone says no mm-hmm. to some of your advice, this is my second thing is don't say no for other people. Yes. So don't not put your product up for sale, which means someone can't even get a chance to buy it. Don't not send a sales email because you think someone's going to write back and be mad at you. Don't not put a pitch out to someone that you want to work with or whatever because you feel like they're going to say no. Because what happens is when you get a no, it has so much context. And I know this from so much experience because I've spent so many hours sending emails to people trying to get sponsorships and trying to get people to pay for things and all this stuff. And what you realize is that no no falls under a couple different categories. It falls under, it's not the right time for that person. They don't have money for that thing. Mm-hmm. They've bought this type of thing before and it hasn't worked out. So they have a bad experience and they don't want to do it again. None of those three things are, no, you're a horrible person and you should go to hell. <laughs> But that's what we think. Yeah. Like when we don't send the sales emails, when we don't put up the sales page, when we don't take that step to put something out into the world for people to purchase or to consume, it's us thinking they're going to write us back and go, you're the worst person ever. No. I don't think my fear, just speaking specifically for me, it's not that I think somebody's going to write back and say you're a bad person. I'm afraid of somebody writing back and saying like, I don't know what we're afraid of. We're afraid of appearing annoying. We're afraid of appearing overbearing, maybe overbearing, desperate. Like, I don't know what those things are. But the point is, it doesn't matter what, where that fear comes from. It's preventing us from potential opportunities. And so 
Um, I think that's kind of the point that you're making is like they never, you know, usually they never write back some some confirmation of the assumption that you've made of what they're going to do. And even better, a lot of times they'll write back and say yes. Yeah. Um, another thing that it made me think of, especially with you talking about it's never as bad as we assume that it's going to be in our minds is specifically in my brain. I think of all the times that we've shifted or pivoted or quit things or shut down products or any type of move where we've stopped doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember specifically for my daily art project in 2016, I wanted to do a different painting for the entire year. And I stopped at 280 because it was really, it had stopped allowing me to grow. And instead it was becoming a source of pressure and social pressure. And I didn't like the way it made me feel. And so I just thought it was more important for me to stop. And I remember thinking so many people were going to be disappointed and that people were going to write back and, you know, think certain things about me. And it definitely didn't go that way at all. If anything, people were like, you do you like good for you for, you know, listening to your heart and all this great stuff. Um, And so I think that's something that's really important for people out there. I think a lot of times we don't evolve I mean, it's kind of an interesting part of the self-doubt conversation. We're afraid of what people are going to think. We're afraid that maybe there's something wrong with us, that this thing that we thought we had figured out has now changed and we're going to pivot to something else. And it stirs up all these, you know, ideas of self-doubt all over again. Yeah. There's something to be said for if you're doing something that like scares you a little bit or puts a little bit of self-doubt and you talked about this in the beginning, is that that probably means that there's something really good on the other side of it. Right. Is that there's something that's going to make you feel really good because we've talked about this for years, but comfort zones are like quicksand Mm -hmm. and that you, you get stuck and then you don't feel the rush of adrenaline of, of excitement of, or encouragement of people or anything. And if you just stay safe all the time, you don't get the things that make you feel like you're changing anything. It yeah. doesn't have to be the world. It could just be like the small microcosm of the place that you live in. And I think for us as two people who have done a lot of things, who have done a lot of projects where it takes a lot of consistency and a lot of effort, um, you find there's so much value in the positive response that you get from people. And you're going to get negative response in some respect, but it's never as much as you think. Mm-hmm. And I think for anyone li- listening to this show or watching this show, you're all going to create great things or interesting things or creative things. You're not going to create malicious things. Mm-hmm. So we don't even have to worry about talking to you about that because malicious things or negative things are only going to attract those people mm-hmm. as opposed to creating art or creating something that's going to help somebody or whatever it is, is going to be something that's beneficial. And then people are going to give you positive response to that. For sure. It's like, I think of it, you know, comfort feels good, but coming alive feels better. And to me, that's always what I, I remind myself when, I'm confronted with something that scares me or that makes me doubt myself is like, yeah, but isn't it going to feel amazing when I'm pushing myself and and the excitement of what's going to come next and what's going to come out of it? I think about starting Wandering Aimfully, honestly, mm-hmm. and it would have felt comfortable and predictable to just stick to Made Vibrant and the thing that I was comfortable doing and just trying to kind of grow that in some way, shape or form. And I remember when you brought the idea of combining businesses to me, like I was terrified and I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know this person. I don't know this person. Who are you? <laughs> you live with me for eight years. I don't even know you. I I doubted everything about it. I was like, are people going to think this is weird? Are, are we going to lose a bunch of people because we're kind of combining forces and all this stuff? But I thought to myself, you know, If there's one thing I know from my past experience, it's that doing new things makes me appreciate different parts of myself and it makes me grow in a whole new way. And to me, that's what feeling alive is all about, is when you feel that growth and you feel that excitement. And like I was saying, comfort is great, but that feeling is better. Yeah. And that feeling, yes, comes with the fear and the doubt, 
um, which is, I think is what scares people away from it. But do you want to give a clean drop of your quote? Because I messed it up. What did you say? The I said feel instead of fear. Do you want to give a clean, clean quote, clean, clean Carol quote? You want the dream more than you fear the reality. That's what go. it is. So you, you want what it, that big dream in your head more than you fear the reality of what it takes to get it there. Thank you. Uh, okay, we have a couple minutes left, and I want to chat about what happens when the self-doubt is actually, it comes true. So what happens when you go beyond the fear, you start you do something, the thing, it and it sucks, sucks. <laughs> and then the self-doubt is realized. What do you do? Because I can tell you that this is <laughs> this has happened to me a couple times. Yeah. Here's Here's the way that I look at it. At that point, you've done the thing. You can't go backwards. So the only thing that you can do is try to take whatever you can from it. And to me, what's cool is that it it becomes like another piece of your armor, right? Because you've been through the fire of whatever that bad experience is. You've been watching me play Zelda. I have. (laughs) I got armor, got going through fires. A lot of Zelda (laughs) metaphors are coming through for me. Um, But that's the way I really view it, honestly, is like, you're a little bit more invincible because you've experienced the depth of whatever that feels like, you know, like you've been whatever the arena quote is. You've been in the arena. You've felt what it's like. Some people say that everybody needs to get punched one time in their life because the fear of being punched will make you, you know, so terrified. But if you just feel it one time, then you know what that feels like. That's how I view anything that doesn't work out is now you know what it feels like to get punched and you're going to be less afraid of it next time because you know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. Also, don't punch people, though. Yeah, don't punch anybody. Uh, unless it's on my 30th birthday on a <laughs> little website where you could punch me virtually. Do you remember this? Yeah, I totally yeah. do. Uh, I set up this six years ago. as little. You could literally punch me for my birthday. I think someone punched me 18,000 times. It was up for like 24 hours. They ran a, they ran they were a just, script. They were just like, yeah. I got to punch this guy in the face. Uh, silly things I've done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to your point, it is one of those things where it's a notch in your belt. Yeah. And it's a story you get to tell. Yes. And it's... For me now moving forward, it doesn't make it any easier because I've dealt with a couple of these things on little software products I've had or whatever or ventures I've tried to go in with other people. And we'll have a whole episode on partnerships soon. But it can be very daunting to come out the other side of one of those things and go, well, now what? Mm-hmm. And I think that, well, now what for me, how I've solved it over the over the years is just the mantra of the obstacle is the way uh-huh. from Ryan Holiday's book. And that book, that small phrase is so helpful for me to go. Okay, like this sucked. It wasn't good. It doesn't feel good. Uh, I didn't make any money. I lost money. I lost time. But you know what? I've now learned a whole set of things I can put forward to my other ideas and I can use in stories that I tell and things just like this episode. It's a whole bunch of things that we've not done right or or talked about and maybe they've missed. And we get to use them as food to move forward uh, to fuel us on what we're doing next. Yeah. Guess who's not relatable in the world? No, nope, I'm going to finish my Timers. thought. Suck it, timer. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Guess who's not relatable in the world? People whose success just goes like this. People who have never had to deal with hardship. People who have never had to overcome challenges. That is not relatable to anyone because we all have to deal with challenges. And so we really did arrive at this place where we thought to ourselves, it's a win-win. If you try it and it works out, that's a clear win. But if you try it and it doesn't, it becomes this chapter in your story that allows your path to become more relatable to other people. And you and I thrive off of authenticity and transparency. And so- literally the lifeblood of our business is showing you guys the downsides as much as the upsides. And kind of in a weird, smart way, we've we've framed ourselves in that way because, like I said, now if we fail, it's a win. If we succeed, it's a win. And so many people, like you said, can relate to that. And they're 
happy to be on the journey with us, our Wandering Gamefully members specifically, uh, that they're like, I'm here with you. I yeah. want to watch what you guys do so that I can skip that pain. Uh, or I can just go, oh, I've been through that too. And I have someone I can relate to and talk to about yeah, it. Yeah. And the last part of that is just you do have to take a more long-term view because it's going to hurt like hell in the short term. But if you can just take that long-term view and realize that it's going to be a part of your story on a more macro level, I think that can also help you go, okay, there's a purpose behind this pain. There's a purpose behind this failure. There's a purpose behind, you know, this sucks. Um, and so if you could maybe zoom out the lens a little bit, that might help too. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, which now has a new theme song. We Googled that. We Googled that. We Googled that for you. Oh, gosh. Okay, we're going to workshop it. Got a little squirrely at the end there, we're but gonna that's workshop okay. It. I had a phlegm in my throat. We're good to feed. We Googled that for you as a segment where one of us finds something for the other, which is pretty much just me at this point, and Caroline guesses what I found. I like guessing better. Here is my We Googled That For You today. Okay. We are both plant-based eaters. Yes, we are. We love vegetables. Love them. We em. eat a lot of vegetables. All kinds of vegetables. What is the oldest known vegetable on earth? No. I Googled this for everybody. The oldest known, known vegetable. vegetable? Yep. I find it hard to believe that you would be able to figure that out well, across the entire world. Right. So what what you do, what you got to do <laughs> is you go to the historical written records is all people have to pull from. So we don't know before people kept historical okay, records. Okay, so maybe I right. should think of a civilization area in the oh, world that, hint, maybe, hint, 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 hint. that maybe had written records. Okay. <laughs> but that doesn't help you with the actual vegetable. How do you know? Okay, I go. know the indigenous vegetables of all kinds of places all over the world. <laughs> do you? Okay, I'm going to say yeah. parsnip, like a root vegetable. It seems earthy. It seems old. Yeah, but they would have had to find it. It's not what like do you a, find it? it's in the ground. That, that, seem, that seems like the first place people would look for vegetables. No, you would look like on bushes or on plants. You'd be like, oh, what's <gasps> that? You wouldn't dig in the ground. What vegetables grow on bushes? Peas. I was going to say peas. Give me this phone. <laughs> I was going to say peas before I said parsnip, you idiot. <laughs> Who are you saying is an idiot? <laughs> oh, okay. Just wanted to make sure because uh, clearly it wasn't okay, me. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, I'm thinking peas. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Although it's parsnips. <laughs> <laughs> peas are the oldest known vegetable on earth. They were prized by the ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans. Peas are a tasty source of protein, fiber, potassium, and B vitamins. No, peas grow on plants? Little bushes. Little, Little bushes. bushes? Yeah. So like the garden sure? that we have uh, in our side yard with our neighbors, we could plant some peas in there. I would love to do a quiz. And they would not be buried in the ground. I would love to do a quiz on how vegetables grow oh, because yeah. it's yeah. surprising. Surprising. Most of them are surprising. <laughs> like pineapples when we saw that. I was like, you what? guys, You guys are just sitting there and you're spiky and spiky ready and... to go. Okay. All right. We Googled that for you, everyone. We hope you learned something. Go take that knowledge to your friends. Ask them what vegetable was the first on earth. It's not parsnip. It is... For prehistoric, just kidding. Very historic. If you want to support this show, if you like this episode, if you like any other episodes, if you like our faces, you can subscribe on YouTube. That does help because it helps YouTube know that, oh, hey, people like this. They're watching. Uh, You can like the video. It's just a little click of your mouse. Or if you're listening to this and you're on a podcast app, leave a review and a rating. I know we say that almost every episode. But we would love it if you didn't love playing. It just, it helps. It helps the algorithms know. And it also helps us. Uh, feel good good in our ego and also to just continue to be encouraged to show up and record this show for you um, because then we know that you like it so if you don't leave a review we're quitting bye